EPI presents Pride Connection, sponsored by Blind LGBT Pride International. Tuesday evenings at 10 p.m. Eastern on ACB Media One, so and shortly thereafter on all your favorite podcast catchers. And what's on the other side? Rainbows are visions. They're only illusions. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Pride Connection. This is a very special episode. We're going to be talking with one of our Strike members. In fact, one of the co-producers of this podcast about her journey through transitioning. Um, I am here, of course, with Ms. Bryn Lee, Ms. Bryn June Lee. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're going to conversate in just a moment. We are also here with President Leah Gardner. Hey, Prez. Hey, everybody. <laughs> so before we get started, I want to alert everyone to our Fruit Loots. And no, not the cereal. Think about pirate. I matey. Um, L-O-O-T-S, our Fruit Loots fundraiser for all the advocacy work that we're going to be doing in 2024. Um, as we all know, there's a lot to respond to out there, whether it be draconian laws that are already passed or in the process of being passed. And of course, our big human rights rally during the American Council of the Blind Convention on July 8th in Jacksonville, Florida. So if you would like to support our mission, please look at the show notes and click on the Fruit Loots fundraiser. Love yourself, love your spouse or your partner, love your friend, love your mom or dad, love the homeless guy that waits on the bus stop every morning, share a little bit with BPI because we could really use the support. And as always, if you'd like more information about BPI itself, you can go to our brand newly renovated website at www.bpi.gay. I just want to say there's something there in the Fruit Loots gift options for everybody, right? There's coffee, there's candles, there's chocolate. How can you go wrong with And it that? is specially curated for our community. So all the boxes are tactile. There's fun things to find and feel. There will be yep. surprises within the packaging that's all tactile. And some of it might even be a little um, sensual to feel. But um, you'll have to discover that yourself by clicking the Fruit Loots fundraiser in the show notes at the bottom of your page. <laughs> Anthony, I got to say, there is a candle that they sell that might be mm. fun for any of your non-binary pals. It's called Them. And it's, it's marketed as, you know, love her, love him, love them. I think I'm going to have to get the Them candle from my roommate and go, hey, look, they have a scent just for you. <laughs> And the them on the candle is slightly raised, so you'll be able to feel the lettering. And I'm told that the stenciling on the candle itself is also very tactile, so you might love that. All right, let's dive into our conversation. Before we get started, I definitely want to say Bryn has been so very brave in, in this journey both publicly on socials and through our organization, Blind LGBT Pride, and also in the American Council of the Blind at large. Sitting down for this conversation has been a long time in the making, and we really hope that those of you out there listening take the time to understand Bryn's journey, which may not be reflective of everyone who's transitioning journey, 
but it's it's definitely a good place to start your learning process. So Bryn, welcome. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you may have come to understanding that you might be on a journey of transitioning? Absolutely. So when I was younger, I had thoughts in my head that, you know, my gender didn't fit who I was on the inside. I had those feelings a lot. Probably the first time I ever really realized like, oh, I can do something about this is when I saw uh, the Looney Tunes cartoons. You know, Bugs Bunny was always running around in drag and there was all kinds of gender swappy things in Looney Tunes. And the episode that I remember the most is when Leghorn Foghorn, not, not, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what now, I say what I say. He was battling with the guard dog. The guard dog made this machine. It was like a, a booby trap. And Leghorn Foghorn, the rooster, he stepped right into it. It catapulted him into a, a machine that put a bunch of women's clothes on him. And there was this like beatnik chick. You know, he had the turtleneck and the sunglasses and all that. And Leghorn Foghorn parachutes down from the booby trap machine. And he's like, I dig it. I dig it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's interesting. You can do that. You can go from one end of the gender spectrum to the other. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. But I, I didn't sit there uh, my whole childhood and go, there's something wrong. I'm, I'm really a girl. I was doing things like sneaking, wearing dresses and stuff as even as young as like eight years old. I do remember there was a neighbor girl that lived nearby. And, and for whatever reason, we just decided it was a good idea to dress me up and make me look pretty. And instead of being mortified or feeling pressured into it, I was like, yes, please, I would love that. And I just didn't know that I was really a girl on the inside yet. I just knew that that felt better. I knew that it felt less constricting and it felt less itchy in my mind. It felt right. And then I found out about people who transition and I thought, well, there's no way that I could be trans because I haven't felt like I'm definitely for sure a girl since I was four years old. Like every trans woman has said on like every 2020 episode or Ricky Lake or Jerry Springer show, like you, you would hear about trans people in the 90s and the narrative was always, oh, I've always known that I was a girl. And I was like, I, yeah. I didn't have that. It was definitely not immediately apparent in the beginning, but I definitely had those feelings. They were they were kind of bubbling under the surface. I think a lot of things about those particular talk shows, though, during the 90s, is the topic was sensationalized so much. I almost feel like those shows didn't really take gender transition seriously. I wonder if maybe some of your feelings were based on the fact that some of these hosts treated this as kind of a fluke or a joke or something. Yeah, there was always a wife hiding in the shadows, yes. waiting to come out in the third segment, or it, it was sensationalized a lot like that. I have to point out, I do remember the first serious time I saw this was on the Oprah Winfrey show. I want to say it was probably like 97 or 98. And there was a family, a blended family where they were still living together and still living in their relationship. 
but she was able to live her truth. And it was done so well and so respectfully. And there were two of the three children were there as well. I do think that's a great point, Leah. It was done in an entertainment and a shock jock value rather than any kind of educational, let's make the world better for folks who may be experiencing this. There was some humiliation quality to some of it also. I'm just wondering if that turned you off, the the lack of respect that was demonstrated. Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, I'll say the first thing I ever saw was actually a serious piece about a kid who was trans and and they were like 15 or 16. And that's where I got stuck because I was like, well, I didn't have that same narrative. It was like a 2020 piece about a trans kid. And uh, yes, there was some sensationalism in that. But then I started to see as I got older in the mid 90s and, and late 90s, it got to be the trans woman that comes out and starts telling her story. And then Jerry goes, well, you know, backstage, we've got your wife and she's got some things to say. There were also a lot of sitcoms and animated things that made a joke of trans women. As much as I love the show Friends... There is a trans yes. character in that show, and they constantly misgender her and dead name her. The only thing that I can sort of forgive a little bit is when they call her Chandler's dad, because a lot of children of trans parents often start out calling their trans parent, they'll say like daddy for a trans woman or mommy for a trans man. But that's usually younger children. Usually when you're in your 20s living in a humongous apartment, Anthony, there are no apartments in New York that big, right? None. Nope. <laughs> nope. Um, by that age, you're not saying Chandler's dad. You You know better at that point. The Simpsons did it where Selma was dating a woman and Marge was suspicious. It wasn't even a trans man. It was someone who was dressing up as a woman to try to trick Selma into liking him. There were horrible movies like The Ladybugs. Yeah, trans representation in the 90s was not a good time to be secretly trans. And you're right, it did push me in the the closet because my only association with trans people is you're going to be a laughing stock. No one's going to take you seriously and you're not going to live life being able to like hold a career or take being taken seriously. So yeah, yeah, it did. It pushed me back in the closet a lot. So let's jump ahead a little bit and people can always search through the archives of Pride Connection wherever you listen to your podcast and find more about friends coming out and things in other episodes. Let's jump ahead to you're out, you're experiencing life, And I'm guessing, please correct me if I'm wrong, that this is still something that keeps bubbling up to the surface. Let's take it from there. You've got a lot more experience and seen a lot more of our world. What happens then? Yeah, so um, I I realized that I was definitely some kind of genderqueer by 2020. I had already been sort of experimenting with feminine clothing at that point for quite a long time. My my whole life I have had behind closed doors, you know, like, let's try this on, let's try that on. But it wasn't until 2020 that I started going on Amazon, buying a bunch of stuff and trying things. So I started experimenting with clothing and putting a label to what I am. And at the time, it was genderqueer, maybe non-binary. I was nowhere near ready to accept the fact that I was a woman. I, I wasn't ready to call myself trans. And a lot of that was because I had what my therapist would say was a lot of internal transphobia. 
the things that I was saying about myself, she told me that sounds like something that a turf would say. I was saying stuff to my therapist like, I don't know if I want to call myself she and her because I don't want to make cis women uncomfortable. And I don't know if I want to use the women's restroom because I don't want to make any cis women uncomfortable. And I was very concerned about other people being uncomfortable with with what I was doing. And my therapist is like, that sounds like something a turf would say. And that was the thing that kind of slapped me out of my self-loathing, if you will. It was certainly me not fully embracing the fact that I was trans because there was a part of me that was not ready to accept myself. And as soon as she said, that sounds like something a turf would say, I'm like, I don't want to be a turf. That's not me. So I started realizing I can do this. I can call myself a woman and be in women's spaces because that's who I am. It's funny because I have had cis people tell me, don't you feel kind of weird or bad that you're in women's spaces and this, that, and the other. I'm like, First of all, I'm a woman, but second of all, the people that I've had the most support from were cis women. On Facebook, you go look at any comment about my transition that I have posted, and it's like 200 cis women that are like, go you, Bryn, you're awesome. Like, you look awesome. You look gorgeous. And I'm like, I don't think I'm making any women uncomfortable. You have been very public with, with your journey. You've invited a lot of people in to share it with you. Was that something that you needed to do for your transition? Or is that something separate that it's a space where you can educate? I've always been a very social person. I've always been a very outward person. You know, I've always been in radio and podcasting. When social media came out, I was very much the kind of person that really enjoyed sharing. But I've always been very liberal with sharing parts of my life with people. That has kind of dialed down just a bit. I'm not taking pictures of my food anymore, unless it's like a really special (laughs) meal that I think somebody would get a kick out of. But sharing parts of my transition is just another extension of me sharing my life, which I have done since day one. There was a point in my life where talking about my queerness and talking about my, my gender stuff is something I never would have done. But that's because I was very deeply in the closet. I dated someone at the time when I was a man. I dated someone of the same sex in 2005 and then promptly went running back into the closet for another 15 years. So my sexuality and my gender were not something I ever used to share. But after COVID happened and I realized that my life is finite and I have a limited amount of time on this world, I started talking about that. And it started with BPI. It started with Anthony and Leah and JD and Jess and and Mama Leah and Randy and Tristan and just everybody (laughs) in the WhatsApp party room. And we would stay up until three in the morning sometimes just talking about our lives. And that's where I got practice talking about my gender stuff. And this is before I realized I was even trans. We've assumed that I was some variation of non-binary or genderqueer at that point. But I got very unafraid to talk about it very quickly. And it's thanks to this group. There's a tremendous amount of support and it brightens my world when I'm on and I see one of your posts and it says 76 comments or and I start just looking through it. 
But can you talk about the haters just a little bit, how that made you feel and how that's transitioned for you? Yeah, so I, I will say that while I have gotten pretty brave, I've had to develop a pretty thick skin because there are plenty of people who don't like me and what I'm doing and what I stand for. Sometimes it's politics and sometimes it's just, you know, personal. They just don't like it. I have had some people make transphobic comments to me that were just straight up transphobic, straight up derogatory and disapproving. But the majority of people who don't like who I am and what I stand for, they are all mostly passive aggressive. So they will start doing things where they will use my correct name, but they won't use my pronouns. So they'll just leave my gender out of every communication with me possible. Or they will dead name me and pretend like it was an accident. When someone's truly apologetic about it, they go, oh, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And they apologize in, in their own special way, right? Uh, and you can tell that it is sincere and that they're working on it. But when they're not sorry and they kind of know what they did, you can tell um, because yeah, there's a there's certain a, There's tone. a difference. Yeah, there's a tone. The Facebook comments that were derogatory are usually some kind of veiled compliment or passive aggressive disapproval. I don't get a lot of hardcore transphobia because I think bigots know that being a bigot is, is frowned upon in our society. And so they do it in ways where they aren't going to be caught. I have been accused by some of talking about my transition too much. Why can't she just do her job and shut up about the fact that she's trans? I've had people say that to me. I've heard it third party. And it's not that I'm out here going, hey, look at me, I'm trans. By the way, did you remember? I'm trans. Hey, guess what? I'm trans, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, no, so usually I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and somebody comes up to me and they go, Oh, Brandy, you're so, I'm so happy for you. And you seem so much happier. And how's transition going? And oh my gosh, what's it been like? And oh, do you need any help with makeup? And you know, if you ever want to go shopping, I'd be happy to go. It's usually people bringing it up to me, especially people who've known me for a really long time as my dead name and my old gender. And it's my first time seeing them in five years. And they're very excited to talk to me about my transition. I'm, I'm not going out there trying to convert people. I'm not trying to turn your kids into trans people. I'm not out there prophylizing about it and just talking about it all the time. It's people bringing it up to me most of the time. How does it feel when you see someone that you haven't seen in a long time and they are effusive and they are that happy? Oh, it feels really good. It brings a smile to my face when somebody is just so complimentary and so it feels like people are genuinely rooting for me and that feels really good. There's a lot of things that you have to do to get on the path of the transition. I think folks would like to know, how do you get started? What does it feel like in the beginning? What are some of the challenges? Absolutely. The first thing that a new trans person has to do, or at least what I, it's what I had to do, is you have to figure out the mental stuff that's going on in your head first before you can really do anything else. Because you have to be really brave because you've got to go out in the world in a period in your life where you're at the very beginning of your transition and you're not passing yet. So passing is being able to go out in the world and people just assume that you're a cis woman and they just 
There's no question about it. Some people never get to a point where they pass. And you just have to get okay with that. You have to gird your brain against harsh stares and things like that. But also you just have to get to a point where you're accepting yourself. You're going to feel weird at first. You're going to feel like it looks off. So I think the first thing, the first step is self-acceptance and exploring, you know, how you feel about your gender and getting yourself to a point where you can go out into the world and feel safe from your own inner demons. So that's the first thing. It really sounds like one of the first big obstacles is really being at a place where you accept and are comfortable and celebrate who you are before you are asking the world to do the same thing. That's right. You can't expect the world to accept you and embrace you until you accept and embrace yourself. Pride Connection will return after this brief message. Join the hottest club for Friday Night Fun Chat. Blind LGBT Pride hosts a clubhouse room every Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Grab a drink, grab a snack, and settle in for a fabulous night of good company and great conversation. Just log on to Clubhouse and search for House Blind LGBT Pride. Not a member? No worries. Just come with a loving heart and an open mind, and our bouncers will lift the velvet rope for you. Blind LGBT Pride Clubhouse Friday Night Fun Chat. It's the only place to be for VIPs like you. I think a lot of people don't realize it. It's not just a matter of like saying, okay, I'm transitioning. There's so much psychological work. And there's a strength that you have to build within yourself too to be able to stand up to those stairs. But you said something really important, Bren, that I think I'm going to ask you to expand a little bit more on. I would imagine at some point there's feelings like, okay, I know what I'm supposed to look like in my head. And I'm not there. Can you tell us a little bit more about the different stages you've been with that? Okay, so I will say, first of all, I did not just wake up one day and say, oh, I I think I'm a woman now. And I'm just going to present myself as a woman to the world. There was a lot of experimentation and a lot of trying things out in private and kind of figuring out what looked good. And then coming out slowly to friends and getting people that you trust to sort of make suggestions or or comment on, on how you look or whatever. Um, And so it's a slow process. Maybe there are some people out there that just decide one day, you know what, screw this. I'm just going to start making that transition socially now and just go for it. Usually it's slow. And it was for me, I'm sure BPI members saw it coming from a mile away of first it was a flower in my hair. And then it was maybe I wore a skirt to a thing that was just BPI members or, oh, it was me and Gabe talking about him taking me shopping and helping me with some fashion things. And it's slow. And I started incorporating feminine things into my look over time. And then it was finally like, yep, okay, I I feel like I'm definitely ready to start transitioning. This is going to be a thing. There was a switch that flipped, I guess, where I went from being a little more feminine than, than usual to full on dresses and, and wigs and stuff. Anthony, to answer your question about looking in the mirror and knowing that you're not there yet, when I started my transition, I was totally bald up top. I had no hair at all. I 
thought that hair loss products were snake oil for insecure men and that it was just a way to make money. So in my 20s and my early 30s, I was like, I'm not going to buy Rogaine. I'm not going to do this and that because I just thought there's no way that this stuff actually works. And then my doctor said, you should try minoxidil. And then I started applying it to my head. I have most of my hair back. There are areas that are kind of thin and patchy. But I went through a good year of wearing wigs because I was so self-conscious about what was on my head. And there's no way in hell that I would have been caught dead out in the public without my wig. There came a point Basically, it was the freaking convention. It was being backstage during open mic, running around with my head cut off, trying to find the right cord, trying to plug in someone's braille note, jumping over Anthony's mic cord to get over to somebody else to hand them a mic. I was sweating so bad. And I got to a point where I'm like, screw it. If people look at my head and see a bald spot in the back or a thin area on top and they have judgments for me, It's not worth being miserable and hot to make myself presentable for everyone else. Everyone else can get a life, you know? You get to a point in your life where you just don't care what people think or what they have to say. For me, being a man made me uncomfortable. It made me feel wrong. It made me feel like an an itchy Christmas sweater. And um, when I started expressing myself as a woman, I was like, oh, This feels right. I feel normal. I feel good. What the haters have to say starts to matter less because you're like, I feel better mentally. There was a Facebook post that I just put up a few days ago where I pointed out that I felt stronger than I have ever felt before. There's a lot of depictions of strength in masculinity. There's a lot of shake it off and be a man, you know, that that sort of Mm -hmm. mentality in masculinity. And I always felt weak when I was presenting as a man because I couldn't live up to the masculine idea of what it was to be a man. But then when I realized that I was a woman and I came out, I realized I am strong because I have to face bigots every day. And I am strong because I have to face well-meaning people that didn't mean anything by it when they made their comment. But, you know, you have to face weird comments and stares and giggles every now and then. The longer I've been in transition, those things have gotten less and less. I feel like I'm getting to a point where I'm beginning to pass. And so I'm not having to deal with that as much. But man, I'll tell you what... When you start your transition, if you're not seeing a therapist and you're not at a point where you accept yourself, uh, not saying you need a therapist to get there, but uh, you know, I know I did. If you're not at a point where you can accept yourself and just roll your eyes at the haters and just move on, transition is going to be really hard for you. Can you talk about what the journey was like going from experimenting to accepting to now I'm going to start the medical intervention process? Absolutely. Yeah. So by the way, there are trans non-binary people who use they, them, but maybe they transition so they can lean a little more feminine or masculine. So when someone says trans or non-binary, I mean, that's a thing, but also you could be trans and non-binary at the same time. So I just wanted to get that, clear that up. 
But when I decided that I was definitely trans and started using she and her pronouns, I pretty quickly jumped into transition. In some states, it's harder than others. In Minnesota, it's pretty easy to go to your primary care physician and tell them, I would like to start working towards the goal of transitioning. So I told my doctor in September and she said, okay, let's give it a month. Um to just sort of mull it over. And they said, if you want to start now, we can. That's totally fine. It might be a good idea to sort of sit with it and decide if you want to start Living HRT. A little bit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let it simmer a bit. So I did. I did. And I talked to my therapist about it. And she said, if you had to envision a future as your dead name and your old gender, or being the woman that you are saying that you are and having the name and the gender marker change and everything, which life seems happier and which life seems more miserable to you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I definitely think I need to start transition. So in October, I told my doctor I'd like to start HRT. I won't say the names or the doses of what I'm taking just because I think it's up to each person and your treatment and what your doctor decides and what you decide with your... By the way, you are the owner of your body and you can advocate for yourself. If you've done a lot of research and you've heard from other trans women and maybe you've talked to other doctors about certain things, you can always push your doctor and say, you know, I want to start this medication or I want to start with this. And, you know, your doctor may fight with you on it, but you can either A, push the issue, B, go to another doctor or C, go to a a thing like Planned Parenthood where they have doctors that will not be gatekeepy with you on gender affirming hormones and stuff. So just remember that your doctor is not the end all be all and you can get a second opinion and you can go other places. But we started on a testosterone blocker for a month. And again, she's like, I'm not trying to be gatekeepy with estrogen, but I just think it might be safer for us to start with the testosterone blocker for a month and see how your body reacts to that. And then add the estrogen a month later and see how your body reacts to that. And we'll start with a low dose. And then we'll just sort of slowly ramp you up and see how your body reacts. For me and my insurance, it was costing me about $40 a month for hormones. But that might be different for everybody. It it depends on your insurance and your state and all that stuff. I just want to point out, as we know, Minnesota is a sanctuary state. There are certainly other states in this country where it would be a lot more challenging. Sometimes it's not even the doctor's decision in some states because there are laws that are in the works in a number of states. There are laws that have been passed that make gender affirming care much more difficult to procure. Anthony and I live in Florida. It's becoming increasingly tough. If I were to go to the doctor right now and ask about that, I suspect there would be some major roadblocks, particularly though, if you are under 18. It's becoming much harder because even parents that want to help their children are potentially being being blocked. Are being blocked. It would behoove me as a steward of this organization at this moment to say that's why we reach out both on the fundraising end of things and on the advocacy side of things. All hands on deck, allies, partners, family, friends. These are some of the issues that we are working on. So very important for all of us to come together and and make awareness 
But there are moments where we have to congratulate ourselves. Legally, you're now Miss Brinjun Lee. I am. Yes, I am. I had my name change hearing in December. And my very close friends, Jaden, that's my roommate, and Chris were at my hearing. They uh, testified on my behalf that I'm a good egg. And I ensured the court that I wasn't changing my name for any fraudulent reasons. And the judge was very cool. He had Star Wars figures in the background on his shelf. So I knew I was in good hands. He had a Chewbacca coffee mug and a Darth Vader (laughs) coffee mug. So I was like, oh, this is great. But it was expensive. (laughs) I I will tell you that transition, by the way, is not cheap. You got your laser hair removal and you got your makeup and you've got your clothes and you've got your, if you're going to buy wigs, I've spent probably hundreds of dollars in wigs. My name change cost me in Minnesota about $297. And I know that in other states, it's even more. And also in other states, it's drawn out and slow. But I think the theme behind my transition was fast. And that was the theme with the name change too, because I went and filed my paperwork right before Thanksgiving. And my hearing was on December 18th. And so it was like, bam, boom, you've got your court name change. So I think I've been very lucky in how fast things have moved. I did get COVID in between my hearing and when I finally made it to the social security office to get my new social security card. But my social security card took five days to get to my door. My state ID, I was in and out of there very quickly. I don't have the physical card yet, but I did it yesterday and it was like a a 20 minute process. When you have court order documents with a name change order on them, things just go very, very quickly. (laughs) There were no hangups. There were no roadblocks. My transition happened really fast and that's great for me, but there are going to be people out there that are going to face political barriers. There's going to be doctors that will have different political views than you and they're going to be gatekeepy about meds and they're not going to inform you. If your primary care physician doesn't give you what you want, some states like Minnesota do have things called informed consent clinics. And that's essentially where you go in and you sign a waiver that says, I've been informed and I consent to the changes that will happen. I essentially have decided for myself and have informed myself on what's about to happen and they give you what you're asking for. Not all states have those. In some cases, you have to fight tooth and nail with multiple letters from multiple therapists and doctors to even get considered for HRT, and that's terrible. But thankfully, I was very lucky in in that I happened to live in a very progressive state when I decided to do this. So I want to take this a little bit global before we end this conversation, and it has been an incredible conversation so far. To any parents who might be listening to this and their child is coming to them, maybe even bringing this episode to them because they're understanding that they need to transition or want to transition. What words do you have for parents out there? I did not get a chance to say anything to my mom about my transition because she passed away while I was still figuring it out. And she was a big reason why I decided to move forward with this transition. I rushed home and I was able to say goodbye to her. And I whispered in her ear, I think I might have should have been your daughter instead of your son. And I don't know if she heard me. But first of all, people who are hoping to transition, tell your parents before it's too late. 
unless it's unsafe to do so, because I I lost out on the chance to tell my mom. If you're a parent and you have struggled with queerness and gender, you're politically opposed to that or religiously opposed to that, just keep in mind that you, you may have a child who could be suffering and in the closet right now. No matter how masculine or feminine your child may present themselves, it is always entirely possible that that is a facade that they're putting on for you. And the last thing that a child or a parent should have to deal with is a child being afraid of their parent and afraid to tell them about a pivotal moment in their life. When you are talking about your beliefs, political or religious or whatever, just keep in mind that your child is going to respond to you in kind. When I told my father that I was trans at the age of 41 years old, and I was crying and I was shaking and scared because I was afraid that he was going to like disown me or give me a lecture about God, I was so terrified that his response would be of hatred and anger. And it's not that I wasn't prepared to deal with that emotionally, but I just didn't want to lose my dad. I didn't want to come away from a phone call with my dad and have lost him because of my decision to transition. And so I held on to the the fact that I was queer and trans for 40 years. When I came out to him, you know, there was some awkwardness and there was some ignorance, but overall he was really supportive. He told me this seems like a psychological toll that has really weighed on you for a long time, that this secret has really wrecked you inside and that getting it out and getting it off your chest is probably a good thing. So that was amazing. I did not expect that. I I really honestly thought his reaction was going to be disapproval and it wasn't. Not everyone has that luxury. Not everyone has a parent that is willing to look past their beliefs and see their child being in pain. But if you're if you're at all capable of doing that, please do so. Just let your child know that you are a safe space and that they can come to you with everything, anything. I know so many parents who have told their children, you know, you can always tell me about anything. And I know it's so cliche to say that because yeah, yeah, sure. I'm not going to talk to you about sex, mom. Ugh, I don't want to talk to my parents about that. But uh, your child will probably be like, yeah, okay, whatever. They may never come to you with anything serious as far as their sexuality or gender. But, But knowing that they can makes all the difference in the world. I knew that I could come to my mom and tell her and she would probably at least try to understand it was really the other parent that was a lot more vocal about his thoughts and beliefs that scared me out of it. So please don't put your child through that give them the space to come to you and not be afraid because gosh it's it's really terrible to think about being in a relationship with a parent where you have to face the possibility of losing them over feeling right in your own body it definitely sounds like your dad made a lot of strides over the years in terms of his ability to accept life paths that he didn't really understand because I I always remember this anecdote that you tell about being in preschool. There was a day when everybody was was painting their fingernails. You were very excited about it and you went home and you were gleeful, just full of joy about the 
nail polish. I remember your dad really was unsettled and upset by the whole situation. So at a very young age, you were kind of shut down. You walked out of that experience feeling as if you maybe had done something wrong. And it sounds like your dad has just come miles in terms of his ability to at least try to understand since you were a child. Yeah, my dad didn't even remember that situation (laughs) when I told him about it because I came clean and I said, you know, the main reason why I took so long to come out to you is how you reacted when they painted my fingernails. It was not grooming, okay? (laughs) It was, let's see if we can make blind kids' hands easier to see for those who have low vision. But he reacted as though they were grooming me and trying to turn me into a girl. And I remember sitting on the side of my mom's bathtub with the water running and the fingernail polish removal stuff coming out and the cotton balls. And and I'm sitting there crying so hard that I can't even see. And my glasses are all steamed up from my tears and the water from the bathtub. And and I'm just sitting there feeling ashamed. And I felt like I broke that day, that I would Mm -hmm. never experienced that joy again, because I learned that day that it was quote unquote wrong. And I never felt that joy again until I painted my nails when I was 40. It took me 35 years to realize that I could do that again. It makes me so happy to paint my nails again. You want to avoid making your child go through that kind of trauma. And how wonderful that your father found words to express that he knew the burden and that he gave you such a gift of saying, I can see how free you are now. Do you know what's really funny, Anthony, is when I went home to see my dad in October of this year, I was so terrified that it was going to be awkward. Uh, And there were certainly some awkward moments, like he had trouble calling me his daughter or using she or her, and he still doesn't know what to call me. He's avoiding pronouns and stuff. So he's struggling, right? He's certainly not overnight, like just suddenly a super progressive parent, and he is dealing with an internal struggle, but he is evolving and he has grown and his capacity has just bloomed. Uh, I will tell you that my sister and I wanted to go to a lesbian bar because it was her birthday and she's a little fruity too. (laughs) And so I wanted to take her to a place where she could be with some of her people and have some fun. And my dad was like, oh, I'm I'm sure we could find you a bar closer than the one that you want to go to. That's really far. So he whips out his phone and he's got tremors. So he can't type right now. He says, show me lesbian bars nearby. And he's like, trying all these phrases and he goes oh there's one called jacks over on blah blah and there's one called blah blah you know and he's like reading yelp reviews and i'm like this is my dad (laughs) what alien came down and kidnapped you and replaced you with what i'm seeing now it was just so weird but it also just warmed my heart so much because i could have never imagined my dad helping me look for a gay bar to take my sister to 20 years ago so he's grown and and i'm just so thankful that he's made so much progress and so many strides forward. I am so happy for you and for him and for the relationship and your sister. And I want to say to anyone out there who's listening to this, who is in the beginning of their transition, BPI is an organization. It's a family. It is a space that will always be there for you if you would like to join us because not everyone will have as lucky a space in their family as as Bryn has. And again, we are so very happy for you. But please, if you're out there and you're looking for some more support, please go to www.bpi.gay. Check us out. 
hit one of those emails, reach out to us. I have two more questions I would like to ask you to talk to those folks out there who are beginning to understand that they want to transition. Talk about the scary part of it and the joy part of it and and what's your message to them. The joyous part of coming out as trans is finding a lot of community. BPI, of course, is one of them. Reddit groups for trans people, Discord chats, YouTube channels like One Topic at a Time and Jamie Dodger and ContraPoints and things like that. Um, you know, just finding this vibrant, rich community of trans people, non-binary folks, and everything in between. Oh, and TikTok. Oh my God, don't even get me started on how much TikTok has helped me with my transition. But there's been such a vibrant tapestry of wonderful trans people in my life, and many of them I've never even met uh, because I've just read their stories or watched their videos. So I would say find community. That's the number two thing after finding a therapist that you can do to help you get through your transition. But I would say the scary thing was worrying about not being taken seriously anymore, worrying about not being able to keep a job or get a job. I hear so much about trans women specifically that are homeless and jobless and dealing with all kinds of issues in finding gainful employment. And I'm like, well, crap, I'm blind. So our community has a 70% unemployment rate. And then you heap transgender on top of that. And now I'm like, okay, <laughs> am I going to be able to get hired? I was so thankful that my employer, State Services for the Blind, I did the interview in boy mode. And I didn't tell them during the interview that I was trans. But when I received my offer, I told them that was because of fear that if I go to this interview as myself, I was afraid that maybe I wouldn't get the job. But I got to say that was actually the opposite of what happened because they were like, if anyone gives you any crap about that, you tell them to come to me. We know what your skills are. We know what you're capable of. And we want you on our team. And it, it was not an issue. Thankfully, again, my case is not the norm. A lot of people do struggle with discrimination at work and struggle to get hired. That is absolutely a reality for a lot of people. But I've been lucky in that the state that I live in and the employer that I applied for were all very progressive. I would say that was the single most terrifying thing because I can deal with people not liking me, but not being able to survive is absolutely terrifying. I think a great way to close out this conversation, I'm going to ask you to talk to voters out there. And I hope every single person who is listening to this, whether it be over the air or through podcast forum, plans on voting this year. But to folks out there who are saying, I'm voting on economics, or I'm voting on the border, or I'm voting on, you know, more primary issues. And yeah, the, the transgender stuff and the LGBTQ stuff, I, I really do care about it. But I need to vote on on what's hitting my kitchen table, my pocketbook. What's your message to them? So there are a lot of voters out there who are nowhere near this reality they think that they don't know any trans people and that their kids aren't trans and it just doesn't affect them. And so they vote a certain way because, like you said, there are other things that concern them that are more important in their minds. Yeah, keep in mind 
that you don't know that this is affecting you if the people in your life are closeted and hiding because they're too scared to come out. And no matter what they are expressing currently, outwardly, they may very well be struggling with this. Making it easier for people to just be themselves doesn't seem to me like a horrible reality. So just keep in mind that when you vote and you know that the way that you're voting is negatively affecting a marginalized community, but it doesn't really affect you, it might be touching your life a lot more than you realize. And also, we're all on the same planet, living in in the same world. We're all in the same boat. Just because a particular issue doesn't affect you, it affects people around you in a very profound way because you've got neighbors and you've got co-workers and you've got friends who are going to be affected by the way that you vote. And I don't think any human on this planet wants to see other humans suffer. So just kind of think about that as you're at the voting polls. Like this is going to affect the mental health and well-being of people, like real human people out there. If anyone out there wants to throw a question my way or confess that they're feeling certain feelings or they want to talk about my journey, um, if you need a friend, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm on WhatsApp. I'm on the discuss list. You can always just email me privately. I'm here. My information is obtainable from any BPI board member. So, you know, you can always, always reach out to Anthony or Leah or anyone and just say, you know, could I talk with Bryn? Leah, I think we've had a great conversation. Why don't you take us out? First of all, thank you so much, Bryn, for being so candid and open about the experience, because I think that is how all of us learn and empathize and grow our connectivity with other people. I hope that your personal outreach is going to be far and wide from parents to people that are considering transition and even to people that maybe don't understand. Maybe they'll realize through this program that someone who is transgender is a person who wants everything dream-wise that all of us do as humans, right? Just to be respected, just to wake up every day feeling whole and being true to oneself. I hope that maybe somebody will make somebody who would have voted in a way that would infringe upon our community, change their minds when they go to the polls in November. I just want to end the program by reminding everybody about the Fruit Loots fundraiser that we have going, please take a look at the website. If you have any questions for BPI, please email membership at blindlgbtpride.org. You can visit our website at www.bpi.gay. If you want to become a member, you can visit our membership portal on our webpage. Thank you so much, everybody. Everybody stay warm and stay true to yourself. We'll see you next time. Woohoo! I've heard it too many times to ignore it. You've been listening to Pride Connection, sponsored by Blind LGBT Pride International. For more information, please visit our brand new website, bpi.gay. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.